Welcome to the Mortification of Spin, the regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Uh, I'm your host, Carl Truman, pastor of Cornerstone OPC Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania. And I'm here, as always, with my friend uh, Todd Pruitt. Uh, at the last uh, call, I believe you were pastor of the PCA Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Has that changed, Todd? Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I'm still there. Excellent. That's quite a long pastorate for you. You've it been is. there, what, two, three weeks now? It is, yes, yes. Excellent. They, they like um, me, so I think it's going to work out. I, th- I think you are an inspiration to, <laughs> to younger pastors who just want to move around to, uh, you church bet. to church. You bet. Well, I'm always looking for the next big deal. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're very privileged today to have a, a couple of guests with us. You'll know our policy on the uh, mortification of spin has typically been to, to have guests who, who raise the tone of the program. Mm. Uh, we've had uh, <laughs> Derek Thomas, greatest Welsh theologian since Pelagius, uh, came and gave us his wisdom some months ago. Uh, Stephen Nichols, research professor yes. of theology at Lancaster Bible College. Um, John the Suntan Payne, <laughs> pioneer church planter for the PCA. And model. And, and male model, I believe. He was going to be with us today, but I just got a text from one of his people that apparently he's been delayed at the tanning booth and, uh, and, uh, and can't be with us. And we've also had Amy Bird, uh, the housewife theologian, uh, coming along and adding some sophistication to the program. Today, however, we're, we're breaking with that tradition. Uh, we, we have two guests on who are going to... Would you believe it? Lower the tone wow. below what Todd and I are normally capable wow. of. Uh, we have two men, in fact, who I think I'm correct in saying uh, are named on all of the same evangelical blacklists that Todd and myself <laughs> feature on, with the possible exception of the one run by the Reformed Baptists. That's right. Uh, that's right. In fact, I, I think we may be correct in saying, Carl, this could very possibly be the last episode of Mortification. It could. I, 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 I think we will have gone so low that. <laughs> There's nowhere else to yeah, go at yeah. this point. Is there anybody these two men that we're about to introduce won't offend? I don't think so. I, I mean, I think these two men have, if, if I could put it this way, no redeeming features whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's time to, to break the exciting tension and tell you who we, we have with us. Uh, we have Dan Phillips and Frank Solozzo Turk, <laughs> uh, who run the Pyromaniacs website, which is, I think, after alongside Ref21, has been historically one of the more offensive yes. uh, reformed and evangelical websites out there. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have you with us, uh, Dan and Frank. Welcome to the program. I was pleased right up until the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for starting us off with a low bar. That makes it easy to excel uh, expectations. <laughs> One of the things I love about uh, your your website is that counter the culture of much reformed evangelicalism today, you are not prepared to agree to differ on things that, that may not be absolutely essential to the faith, but are still important to the well-being of the church. Uh, I presume you're probably incredibly intimidated by being online now with, with two Presbyterians. Uh, but, but beyond the sort of ecclesiastical issues, uh, things like uh, cessationism, for example, uh, you're one of the few uh, blogs that actually takes a firm uh, cessationist line. The default position and over seems... And over. Sorry? Over and over. Yeah. Over Repeatedly. and over. Over and over. Yes. 
The, the default position in evangelicalism seems to be we can agree to differ on this, which of course means functionally we have to agree to be non-cessationists. wonder if perhaps you'd like to comment I'm sure, actually, I'm sure you'd love to comment on this topic. Yeah. I wonder if you'd like to, to offer some uh, anodyne and, and, and uh, ironic reflections on the topic. <laughs> well, that's Dan. Dan start. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good cop. <laughs> I always think of you in those terms, Dan. Uh, I'd, I'd love to. Um, I think that one of the central issues of our day is the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Hmm. I think it's one of those doctrines that everybody formally affirms who's within the pale of orthodoxy, but then as soon as you start giving into hard or soft charismaticism, that, that doctrine is effectively out the door. It's one of those cases where uh, a formal nod of the head is undone by practice. Right, right. Yeah, I... Uh, How long we, do you want me to go? I could go on. Well, well no, we, we are going to want you to go on. And, and actually, the sufficiency of Scripture is is a subject that Carl and I have, have visited several times on this program, because as a, as a pastor, I see the very same trend uh, where uh, not only have we been having to fight the battle for the authority of Scripture, yeah. but but within our own churches, within conservative churches, right. we, we have right. to, it seems we have to continually defend the sufficiency of Scripture. And I don't know if it's because people don't understand the doctrine or if they just don't like it or both. Do you think it's in part some of the mixed signals that come from well-respected leaders in the I think church? that has something to do with it. Um, I think it's, it probably is a combination of defective teaching and defective faith. People know that these verses are in Scripture, but they haven't thought deeply, and maybe they haven't been taught deeply uh, about them. But uh, the verses, uh, like in Psalm 119, that says that God's words are my counselors. And uh, Proverbs 6, uh, where there's a passage that gives a role to the Word of God that a modern charismatic would give to the Holy Spirit, but that the Word of God talks to us and guides us and, and shows us. And, and there's uh, also an unscriptural model of what it means to have a relationship with God, with God, where if he's not mumbling and whispering, semi-intelligible, non-binding nothings in our ear all the time, we aren't really walking intimately with him. Mm. Uh, and it's a failure to uh, to really accept that Second uh, Timothy three fifteen through seventeen really really means what it says that by Scripture we're brought to that wisdom that leads to salvation and we are fully equipped to be servants of God not like Pat Robertson says ninety three percent equipped but fully <laughs> fully equipped right L- let me ask you this um, because this has a, a a real strong pastoral concern um, yeah. when somebody comes to you. And they want to use the language of, you know, God spoke to me or God told me. Pastorally speaking, because I, I deal with that even now as a, as a Presbyterian pastor, how do, we, how do we help them to see that that's not good language to use? How, how, how would you I, help somebody process that? I think it's a lot worse than that, Todd. And, and, and Maybe maybe I happen to be of somehow between Dan and I, I wind up being the one more hardcore about this. But but I think that it is it is actually dangerous for somebody to believe that God is specifically telling them something, mm-hmm. which which is uh, which is words. You know that, right. that there's actually a precept being communicated there, which is not found in Scripture. And and I'll tell you why it is. It's because that view of how God reveals Himself completely dismantles the idea that God gives us wisdom. Mm. You know, wisdom is a virtue, and when we dismantle virtues, we are dismantling foundational parts of our faith. 
So when somebody says that God is telling me or God told me, you know, the first thing that I do, I, I let them finish whatever it is, you know, whatever this dissertation might happen to be. But then I ask them, now, listen, where did God tell you and how did God tell you this? Well, these are the doors that are opening. These are the doors that are closing. I said, okay, so hang on a second. What you're really saying is that you think you perceive God's providence in these facts, but God has not given you specific words. Is that true? Yes. Okay, then let's not base our our future, your personal future, the future of your family on something that you think God is telling you when in fact what you're trying to do is exercise wisdom right. and discernment because you're much better off thinking in terms of wisdom and discernment than you are looking for a flaming bush or a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke or a talking ass. Right, right. So in practical terms, Frank, let's say you're, you, you've got a young person in your congregation who comes to you and says, you know, I'm in love with this girl. Should I marry her? What kind of practical guidance advice, if you're not looking for that inner voice where the Lord says to you, sure, go ahead and marry her, what sort of practical things would you advise that person to do relative to seeking the Lord's guidance? Oh, I, I think the first thing that we have to do, I mean, look at that. That is a perfect example of where God does give us great guidance. And the first thing that God tells us about marriage is that it's permanent. So is, is what you're expecting right now a state of permanence? That's the first question. The second question is, is it permanent enough that you're willing to die for it in order to save it? Okay, because that's what Ephesians 5 tells men, that you should love your wives the way that Christ loves the church and makes it perfect. Okay, and if what you feel is sexual attraction or she's quite humorous, or she's a great provider and you'd like to be a stay-at-home dad, those things are interesting, okay? Those, <laughs> those things are interesting, but I don't think they fall into what we should, we, we should think about, what we're thinking about being a husband, especially a husband of one wife. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great response, uh, uh, Frank. And, of course, what you're doing there uh, is you're going to the Word again and again and again, and you're looking at the yeah. principles that the Lord has laid out in Scripture for making these what are often very important and sometimes very complicated decisions. Um, can I take it, therefore, that you, you, you wouldn't be a big fan of the, uh, the book Jesus Calling? <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of the book? <laughs> I, we actually, you know, that's interesting because in our church, that book, and we have a, a pretty nice, uh, mostly Reformed Baptist congregation, uh, that book made the rounds at our church, sure. and our pastors got a hold of it and said, hey, listen, um, while there are some interesting uh, devotional thoughts in this book, it gives a dangerous practice. Yes. And we need to be careful about listening for God's voice where it's not. And our pastor literally spent, he, he spent like 13 weeks talking about the question of how does God speak to us and what is the difference between saying God speaks to us in scripture and God, for example, providentially gives us, you know, things to do in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, as Carl and I have talked about that book a, a little bit and, and you're right, any, any pastor that I know of um, has had to deal with that book in their congregation. And one of the things that she does that is so confusing and counterproductive is that she 
she says, look, uh, these are words that Jesus gave me, to the extent that she writes it in the first person from Jesus. Yep. But then she also says in the introduction, this isn't to be taken as inerrant as Scripture, which, of course, begs the question, how can it not be if you're quoting yeah, right. Jesus? And so she presents a very, very troubling view of inspiration. Well, I think you're, you're exactly right, Todd. One of the unintended consequences of this idea of a, of a constant subjective mumble from God is that it plays back on Scripture. I mean, if you can conceive of God dropping by and chatting and offering suggestions, mm. then his revelation stops being what it is in Scripture. In Scripture, it's a drop everything, history is about to change right. event when God speaks. It is he never speaks, but that it's morally binding and instantly right. so. But this modern uh, model of God's um, you know, constant subjective mumble, this semi-demi-revelation that people hmm. uh, conceive of, has, has drained the power out of Scripture. I, I, I'd go you one better from that obviously abominable Jesus calling thing to something less obviously so, like the Blackaby books. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I've got three posts on that at Pyromaniacs, yeah. which I think that that... That he's not a formal charismatic. He, he wouldn't be counted in the charismatic right. movement. But that kind of soft charismaticism is a pastoral train wreck. It is, it's an appalling um, model. And so to get back to, yeah. to Carl's question, if I may, if somebody came to me with that, I, I might start with the sufficiency of Scripture and that person's model of what divine guidance is, how God wants us to make decisions. I, I just did a a long series on uh, the Bible, marriage, and you in our Sunday school, and it's all up on Sermon Audio, where um, I talk to singles at length uh, about the guidance that God gives them for marriage, and none of it is subjective mumbles, but it's all the principles laid out in the Word, which I told them are sufficient. Right. Do you think there's a certain element of, of our culture at work here, where everybody yeah. is taught that they are so unique and so important that, you know, if God isn't specially speaking to me and giving me specific advice, uh, therefore it's not oh, authentic yeah. advice. There's no question. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Dan, you might, you, know, you might have more to say on that than this, but, you know, when we discuss that uh, among the men in our church, we, we, have, uh, we have occasional get-togethers where we talk about doctrine as in good Reformed fashion. You know, that was, the, that was everybody asked, well, why does somebody want God to speak to them? And, 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 I, and I told them, that's exactly what it is. What it is is that everybody thinks that that Moses is one guy, and they are one guy or one girl, and why would God treat Moses better than he will treat me? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that at the end of the day, if Moses' name is in the Bible, why can't my name be attached to special revelation like right. that? And I, I just uh, piggyback on that, that it is a fundamental issue of idolatry. Um, you know, it's the, the issue that God used to bring me to conversion, to bring me to Christ, to realize I'd created God in my image. Trouble is, Christians don't realize that we're not supposed to do that either. <laughs> I mean, especially so. So they, they have their own, they mock up their own concept, uh, conception of what a relationship is, and then demand that God toe the line to what that concept is, that nar- narcissistic concept is. When what we ought to do is go to Scripture and say, well, what does God say he'll do? What does he say our relationship is going to be? And build on that, not impose our thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. I mean, we've talked here about uh, a guidance, but of course there are other uh, gifts that are seen to continue. Uh, what often strikes me, and I'm very much an outsider to 
to non-cessationist circles. So I'm very much observing these things from the outside. I don't encounter them uh, every every day of the week. I don't typically encounter them in my own church on a Sunday. But it does seem that a lot of the talk about the continuation of gifts is it's often a talk relative to, to principles, that in principle these things continue. And then the gifts that are flagged up tend to be the ones that are frankly totally unverifiable, speaking yep. in tongues, yep. um, prophecy to a certain extent. Uh, well, they're uh, redefined so as to be unverifiable. They're redefined so as to right. be unfalsifiable. Right, exactly. Healing seems to be a big one in the New Testament. And as a sort of layman coming from outside, I've often wondered why is the gift of healing uh, uh, is continuing. Why aren't these people down at the children's cancer ward on a Sunday? I don't want them to miss yeah. their Sunday service. But once the benediction no. or whatever whatever they have at the end of the service has been spoken, uh, why aren't these people down at the children's cancer ward healing the kiddies with leukemia and melanoma and those kind of yeah. things? Or just one. Just one would be great. Just one would be fantastic. Yeah. And why is it that the healings yep. that are claimed um, are nowhere near uh, close in stature? to the kinds of healings Ever. that are described in, in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think That's we... right. Uh, smartphones and everything all over the globe, and nobody can capture one genuine right. uh, healing uh, right. on, a, on, a, on a par with what the New Testament shows. Right, yeah, right. And that, again, I think points to another aspect of this, where somebody will say to me in, in class at Westminster, so you don't believe the Lord can heal then? And I would say, I be- absolutely believe the Lord can heal. I, I think in the book of James, we're commanded to pray yes. for the healing of those who are sick and ill. But I would would make two qualifications to that. One, I don't think the Lord miraculously intervening and healing somebody necessarily means that any individual today has the gift of healing. Uh, And secondly, I think that there are times uh, when I wouldn't pray for somebody to be healed. Somebody who's 99 and struggling and, and dying in hospital, do you pray for them to be healed? Or do you pray for them to pass as peacefully as possible? into eternity to be with their Lord and Savior. I think there's a, there, there can be a very worldly and naive view of, of, of what the Christian life should be like underlying some of this as well. Oh, I think, Carl, you've, yeah. you've, you've just nailed it, and the only words you haven't said are these two words, prosperity, gospel. Mm. You know, the thing that is most indicative of, of a lot of this talk of, uh, of supernatural gifting comes down to this, that somehow... God wants us to have our best life now. There's nothing to be left for the final coming when Jesus is sitting on his throne. And the, and there is this view that somehow if I can't have everything that God has promised right now, then somehow I can't have anything or I don't have anything and it's not enough. Every day of Friday, right, guys? Every, every day of Friday. That's yeah. exactly right, Todd. And, and I think that that's my biggest concern. You know, I, I tweeted this and—, and Oh man, the, the hate mail you get when you tweet <laughs> oh, something like this yeah. is amazing. But you know, particularly you know what if you goes... don't mention the Reformed Baptists, I believe. <laughs> yes. As, as, Sorry, I'm pulling absolutely. your leg. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the problem that I see is this: that there are no, you know, you've got the list of people who are, you know, the the high offenders in the prosperity gospel. Yeah. Do you know what all of them have in common? They are all continuationists. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. single one of them, theologically, they may have uh, uh, the whole barnyard of other theological di- distinctions between them. They believe this or they believe that. But the thing that they have absolutely in common 
is that they believe right now the Holy Spirit is the one that does all the magic tricks, and he does it all right now. Yeah. And that problem gets overlooked in this discussion all the time, that somehow those things go hand in hand. So do, would you say that the resource, as well as the direct theological opposition we need to, we need to make to, to non-cessationism, there's also a certain kind of church culture that we need to, to cultivate. That we, It's important mm-hmm. that in the gathered worship on a Sunday, uh, we preach, we sing songs, we pray in a way that cultivates an appropriately, I, I hate to say, pessimistic outlook on life. I mean pessimistic relative to, mm-hmm. to life in this world, mm-hmm. uh, but optimistic, of course, as we look towards uh, uh, eternity with the Lord. Do you think? Do you think there are, there is a cultural shift that has to take place as well? Oh, I think I, I know Dan has a lot to say on this, but here's what I'm going to say: that we need to find a church culture that puts the right perspective on the ordinary means of right. grace. Right. At the end of the day, there is an ordinary Christian life and an ordinary means of grace, which exposes the extraordinary greatness of the gospel and when we miss that we are we we always get head over tail we yes. always do that is a wonderful way of putting it frank yep. i i almost yeah, yeah i almost wish you were a presbyterian at this point. We, could, <laughs> we could do with you on our side he may be That's very right. close he may be very very Not far close from the kingdom this man, yeah, when I you think. start saying ordinary <laughs> means man you're talking our language yeah but it's absolutely true because of the evangelical fascination with um the extraordinary yeah the, the radical, the, exactly. Another word that comes yeah. up a lot. The, the whole idea of ordinary means is revolutionary. It was for me um, because all I'd ever, I, I'd been brought up in a culture, not charismatic, but Southern Baptist, but very kind of revivalistic. Yeah. And so everything had to be the mountaintop experience. Everything had to be fantastic. Yeah. So it's interesting. That, you know, that, somehow. Sorry, Dan Carroll. Well, I was just going to say that somehow the Holy Spirit has come to be the asterisk in church practice, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the wild card that, that mm-hmm. can stand for anything. And so people uh, feel like they can do anything that they want and, and just sort of put that off to, well, you know, that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and couple that with a weak doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Right. I can hear so many people saying about, about how they approach Christian living and, and uh, finding God's will, quote-unquote, and they say that they'll do this or that or the other thing, but then, of course, they'll test the results by Scripture. And my question is, well, how about testing that by Scripture? (laughs) How about testing the idea that you can do whatever you want as long as you test the results by Scripture and call it seeking God? Test that by Scripture, and you're going to find that that doesn't turn out so well, and it's not like the Scripture doesn't say much about what the Holy Spirit does. The Scripture says a lot. He kind of wrote it, you know, and it tells us everything we need to know about what he does. Yeah, and I love uh, J.I. Packer's analogy of the Holy Spirit to to floodlights at a sporting event, Mm -hmm. that if... If the floodlights are on, you talk about the sporting event. If the floodlights are broken, you talk about the floodlights. Hmm. If the Holy Spirit is present, you talk about Christ. You focus upon the person and the work of Christ and what Christ has achieved for the believer, for the church. the implication of that, and I think J.R. Packer is too polite a man to draw out the full implication, but the implication, we, we are not polite, as we know. Uh, the implication of that, of course, is where people talk about the Spirit a disproportionate amount of time, yes. the Spirit is likely absent. Mm-hmm. Um, Good point. So, so pastorally, then, you would consider 
cessationism or the advocacy of cessationism really is an extremely important part of the, the pastoral arsenal. I really do. It, it, it plays a part in a lot of my teaching and a lot of my preaching. Um, to go one more time to your question about the young person asking about marriage, um, I, like I said, I would get to the whole issue, uh, the whole construct of what finding God's will is, and, and talk about what Scripture says it does. And sort of my default position is, is I've said um, more than once that, um, okay, fine, I'll, I'll grant theoretical charismaticism just so long as they first show me they've mastered everything that is in the Bible, mm. that they've understood every verse and they're practicing every command. And if that's not enough, then let's talk about looking for more. Mm, yeah. But of course, yeah. that, that would never be taken, because we've never mastered what's in the book. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I see as so baneful about cessationism, is it, is it distracts. It, it redirects us from what we ought to be focusing on. Mm. You know, and it's interesting, that to, to that point, Dan, that you just made, uh, one of the things that's so troubling about Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, is that in, in the introduction, she explains that uh, one of the things she discovered is that she needed something more than the Bible, which is uh, just a horrendous, go. destructive thing to say. Is that well, wait, can I add something to that? that this necessarily creates uh, something that the New Testament seems to me to be at great pains to counter, which is the idea that we're not all on equal footing before God. Mm. Not simply that we don't have different functions, but we have different standings with God. So, you know, God drops by on a regular basis and whispers sweet nothings in Carl's ear, and he (laughs) never visits me. What does that say about me? And I've talked to people like that. The charismatics never, never, they never feature these people. Yeah, they never talk yeah. about the people who watch those shows and conclude, I am a complete way. Obviously, I'm not even a Christian, because yeah, right. God never does that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's tantamount to the, the putative Colossians heresy, really, when you think about it. Yep. It's, yes. it's that I need something extra. Is it a full moon? Is it a Sabbath? Or as you say, is it God whispering sweet nothings in well, my ear? Not only that, but we need somebody who has that yeah. extra thing to show us. We yeah. need, in Colossians 2, there's that guy who's taking his stand on visions yes. and things he's seen, his own experiences. So we need him with his special knowledge, his special superpowers, his porno vision that the Holy Spirit plays in his head, you know, that we don't have, right. obviously. So he's a super Christian, and we just are so blessed to have him to show us what we can't get from Scripture. Yeah. And structurally, of course, that then leads you into cult kind of territory, which you know, yep. connects with something we often talk about on this program, which is a good ecclesiology. And, and joking aside, whether you're Presbyterian or Baptist, you need good ecclesiology to keep in check the sinful temptations of the heart, particularly the hearts of those who are called to positions of authority within the Church. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and if I can say, none of us is saying that these people are cultists, these Christians right. no. we're talking about, but I would say that the line that they are drawing, if you extend that line, goes into cultism. Yeah, I mean, what do you do? I remember being dumped by a girl at college who told me that uh, God had told her to dump me. And I have to say, that probably, there, shapes, probably shapes my view of guidance <laughs> to this very day. Uh, I have to say, well, it was the right choice. Yeah, yeah that was just what, what they were referring to earlier as wisdom and guidance and but, uh, discernment. The, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was just good. Well, not only a girl dumped you, but you were dumped by God. How did you <laughs> yeah. get over that? That's right. But it, Jesus but, loves you, but not her. <laughs> but it, it, it raises immediately the question: How do you respond to something like that when right. the leader in the church stands up and says, "God's told me that we've all got to move to Guatemala and drink mm-hmm. Kool Aid." What right. do you do well, in that situation? It's extreme, I know, but it does happen. It sure. has happened. Sure. Oh, it happens, Carl. It happens in much smaller steps yeah. too. You yeah. know. 
God has told me that we must, we must reach our city and therefore we need a sanctuary that's 10 times as large. Yeah, yeah. God, God yeah. has told me that we must reach our nation, so we must start a church planting network of which I am the head right. and the CEO. Yeah, yeah. God, God has, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. God has told me to leave my church, even though I feel the pastoral call and I, and I have been a faithful pastor. Yeah, yeah. You know, these are these are very troubling statements. And, and I think you guys nailed it, that at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I my response to I need more than the Bible. Uh, my response to that is you, you do need more than the Bible. You need elders. You need a local church. Mm. You need a community of people who love God before they love you, but then they love you. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the things you need. And I'll tell you something, if you have those things, you don't go looking for these other extraneous right. experiences. Right. Well said. Well said. Now, can I, let me, let me ask a question just, just to play the devil's advocate because I, I don't often get to play that role. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have I have what I think are three of the greatest guys on the internet here talking to me right now, and and I'm thinking of the person who's listening to this podcast and has sort of got their lip wrinkled up because they don't like the tone, yeah. but they, they here's the first question that comes to mind for them. Okay, so you guys don't believe in the continuation of the gifts, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why would you ever say a prayer mm-hmm. for anybody's benefit? Yeah, well, because um, that's sufficient. Yeah. That sufficient scripture tells us to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and that's a sufficient answer. Yep. You yeah, bet. it actually is a sufficient answer, Dan. But what if the comeback is, well, so you just pray so that you can mouth the words that God has told you to mouth? No, I think I would say that scripture, that sufficient scripture, makes it very clear that. God delights to use our prayers as a means for accomplishing yeah. his will. I don't need to go outside of Scripture to know what significance my my prayer has. Exactly, exactly. That's right, because what we don't mean in all of this discussion is that God is not living and active in this world. Exactly, Absolutely. exactly. And that's always the default uh, accusation there, as, uh, as those of us who've tried to help people with this uh, know we're accused of not believing in the Holy Spirit, which, of course, we do believe in the Holy Spirit and his continued uh, presence in our in our lives. Um, uh, brothers, uh, we're really uh, thankful that you uh, spent some time with us. Lord willing, we would love to have you on uh, again. Uh, again, we have been visiting with uh, Dan Phillips, who's down in Houston, my hometown. Um, That's right. Uh, Dan, have Upper you been? Have you been? Have you been to uh, the Lanier Theological uh, Library yet? Oh yes, isn't is, that great? Is yes, that I not have. a? Phenom- and I've seen the TARDIS there. It's it's <gasps> phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Uh, yep. Sorry, we're just doing a little personal business here uh, right now, folks. But uh, yeah, if you ever get down to Houston, go by and say hi to Dan and then go to the theological, uh, the, the Lanier Theological Library. It's an amazing place. Yep. Uh, a man from, yep. my, from my home church that I grew up in uh, founded that, and uh, it's just a terrific, terrific place. So Dan Phillips uh, has been with us. Frank Turk has been with us. Check out their, uh, their website, uh, Pyromaniacs. For all of what Carl and I have said, uh, it, it, there, there is good, thoughtful, polemical speech but but really good thoughtful theological reflection um, on that uh, on that website that we think that you would find uh, helpful as I said Lord willing brothers we'd love to have you back on and uh, just continue our conversation so thanks for being with us uh, thanks for having me. you bet it's been a pleasure you've been listening to the mortification of spin a casual conversation about things that count um, a part of uh, the Alliance of confessing evangelicals 
thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon.